Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, glad to be here, Joe. Yes. Um, I'm, so I just said this off camera, off recording. I get very nervous talking to people that aren't comedians. Actually, I get nervous talking to comedians also, but um, people I consider to be uh, experts in any field just really terrify me because I feel like I'm going to come off like a, like a dummy. So well, please. What, what I'm on about, Joe, is, is who you really are. And no one is an expert on that except you. I'm an expert on it in terms of me. But the message of the Headless Way is look for yourself. And each of us is the one and only authority on what it's like to be you. So if I can put you at, at ease uh, in that respect, that's what it's about. Okay, great. So I'm, but I'm, but I'm still nervous, but that's not who I am. Is that right? Am I getting this right? Say that again. I said, so I'm, a, I'm nervous, but that's not like who I am. Is that correct? Well, I think that we talk about this in our own ways. And I would say that's part of you. Um, but it's not the, it's not the, the central you. Uh, the central you, you don't see your head, you're looking out of open space, I'm sure I am. And but in that aware space is feelings of nervousness. And, and we all understand that we're all, don't we all feel nervous? Sometimes I do. Yes. Right. Yes, certainly. Well, you have a voice that is just calming. I feel like you could just be, you know, reading microwave instructions on a meal, and it would it would calm me down. You just have that. Uh, that quality. I don't know if it's the voice or the accent or the combination. So I'm grateful for that. And it's always interesting to meet and talk to somebody who I've spent quite a bit of time listening to you. I've, I listened to um, your conversation on the Waking Up app, which I reference a lot on this podcast. That's how I found out about you. And then you have a whole series on there, which I've spent a lot of time listening to. And I feel like I grasp what you're talking about I have moments of really seeing it and understanding it and it's moving and then there's other times where I think ah, this is crazy I'm not doing it right I wonder if you could explain a little bit about what you do and, and what the headless way is all about so because I think a lot of people may not be familiar yes well uh, the, the thing about the headless way is it's directing your attention to what it's like to be you which uh, you could call your first person experience, your experience of what it's like to be you. And it relies on your own direct evidence, not on what others say. So at the heart of the headless way are experiments. This was developed by Douglas Harding, who is dead now. And he developed a whole load of experiments for testing a hypothesis. It's a very modern approach. And... Uh, I think it's, it's quite a long way ahead of its time in a way. But it says, uh, it, it takes, if I, I'll, I'll put it in context for the listener who may know nothing about this. Um, on the one hand, uh, the great mystics say at your, at your center is a wonderful treasure. And this treasure uh, is uh, spirit or awareness or God or self. It, it, these are names for something that really is nonverbal, but they say that to wake up to this treasure, which is nearer to you than your breathing, 
is to discover something wonderful about yourself that you've been overlooking. And that if you're aware of this in your life from now on, it, it, it's just a blessing. Now, in no way am I asking anyone to believe that, but it is a claim worth testing. But here's an, another context, which is more kind of scientific, if you like. Because what that question that the mystics are attempting to answer is, is who am I? What am I? And in other words, they're saying, you're not what you look like. You're not the one you see in the mirror, really. You are that, but at a deeper level, you're, you're something uh, quite different from that, pure awareness. Now in a scientific context, what you are depends on the range of the observer. And if uh, I'm looking at you, from a few feet away, I'll see Joe. Uh, and I'll say, well, you're Joe. But it's, it's actually truer to say you're Joe from here, because if I come up to you and uh, accept what I find, at a certain point, you're just a patch of skin. And I come closer and you're just cells, then molecules, then atoms, and almost nothing. In other words, you're like an onion in that you've got layers, and Joe is one of those layers, and indeed, if I went away from you, then I would no longer see Joe. I'd see that you're the city that you live in, then the country, the planet, the star, the galaxy. So the onion has layers all the way from the galaxy to particles. And uh, Joe is a very important layer, but he's not the only one. And he's not central. And we identify with these layers. This isn't just a kind of abstract scientific observation, you identify with Joe, you identify with your family, your city, your country, hopefully your planet, then you're worried about an aching tooth. So you expand and contract all the time. Now the question is, what are you at the center of all these layers? Well, it's obviously not Joe, because Joe is what I see from a few feet away via the camera. We're looking at each other on the screen. And uh, the question is, what are you at zero? Well, the only way to find out is to look. And one of the experiments which the listener can do, which is just embarrassingly kind of childlike, really, is to direct your attention first out and then in. And uh, I, I really encourage the listener to do this, because unless you have the experience, it's all just words. So if you take your index, index finger and point at something in front of you, I can see Joe doing it, which is great, and look along your finger, you'll notice you're pointing at a thing. It's as simple as this. I mean, it's ridiculous, really, but uh, it's an experiment. Now point at your other hand, another thing. Now turn your finger around, hold it a couple of feet away and point back at where others see your face. In other words, the place you're looking out of. Now, do you see a thing there? I don't. I just see my finger. And right. uh, where I'm pointing, I would call it space, awareness, transparency. There's nothing here except space for the finger. Now, uh, in broader terms, uh, you just can't see your own head. That's why it's called the headless way. Uh, instead, you see the world. Now, I don't believe anyone can see their own head. I'm not talking about looking out there in a mirror. That's what you look like at a few feet away. Or what someone else sees, that's what you look like a few feet away. Or what the camera shows, that's what you look like a few feet away. I'm talking about what you are 
uh, at zero. And I accept that your view of me is valid from there. But I also claim that my view of me is also valid. They're both valid. So I know that for you, I'm Richard, but for here, I'm a headless space full of the world. Now, when you said earlier that sometimes you think you've got it and then you don't, uh, I think what you're talking about is sometimes you uh, think, think about it and think you've got it and you're understanding it and what it might mean. And, it, you, and then the understanding goes. Well, of course it will, but the actual observation that you can't see your head never goes. So uh, this is really uh, recognizing a basic truth about yourself and uh, whether or not it makes you feel better or, or you understand it or think you understand it. Now, there are a whole range of experiments which uh, look at uh, the question of who one is from one's own point of view, from all kinds of angles, including eyes closed. And uh, we can also think about it in terms of personal development, where it fits in. But it's a well-rounded um, kind of approach. Douglas Harding uh, came, you know, uh, was uh, worked on this from the 1930s. Discovered he was headless in 1943, and spent the rest of his long life uh, writing books about why it made sense. <laughs> so, so what we're getting at essentially is um, kind of what referred to as non-duality, right? Is that I mean, is that sort of what we're talking about do i understand that correctly the idea of you know yeah. there's me i have my mind and there's my body and there's there's if i'm saying that right this is see this is where i get nervous and i'm going to sound like a dum-dum but um, no, you're not. Joe, you're essentially not. we're getting at non-duality right well let me uh, just put my personal point of view which is all it is um is i i understand non-duality but I don't use the word much, you know, the phrase much myself, I, because I also treasure duality. Mm. Uh, because the feeling of being Richard separate from Joe is vitally important. Right. But that happens within this one consciousness that I'm aware of. So it's non-dual that includes a dual, but that, that's horribly technical to me, you know. But, right, uh, right. So I, uh, I think the thing about this experience, it's non-verbal. You can describe it in lots of different ways, and you can never pin it down, especially to one end of a kind of spectrum or paradox. Right. And so what I was referring to earlier that I think about is there are moments where, and, and I use Sam Harris's um, daily guided meditation, and a lot of times he'll invoke the headless way on there and I've gone through all your um, exercises on the app and it's, it's really interesting and enjoyable. And so there'll be times where I really um, experience that feeling of like, wow. And I actually feel this, that there is emptiness, there is nothing there and it really comes through. And then it's almost like out of um, fear, like this weird survival mechanism where my brain goes, no, 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 you have a head. What are you talking about? These guys are crazy. And I guess it's just, I don't know if it's a fear of of that growth or that experience, or it's just um, ego that comes in and says, no, 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 you have a head. What are you crazy? You're a comedian. You live in New York. Um, like this, this fear of, of that emptiness, which some people refer to as enlightenment or whatever. Is that just a fear of growth or is it confusing or am I doing it wrong? What's going on there? 
You're not doing it wrong, uh, you, but uh, I think it's all of those probably. And uh, I, I think that uh, this is, although it seems very superficial, you can't see your head. Um, often actually what people, well, what people sometimes do is they see this, they notice, if you look now, you can't see your face, instead you see the world. And then they go, whoa, <laughs> right, wow. And then they stop looking and just think. Right, right. It. And if you just think about it, it sounds crazy. And it sounds frightening. And it sounds, you know, completely mad, really. Uh, so you can understand if someone goes straight into thinking, why they might reject it. The, the thing about the headless way is have the courage to go back to just the observation. Settle down a bit. Uh, don't criticize yourself. It's, it's okay to feel frightened or ha think it's mad, but check it out, you see, uh, seriously. Uh, and don't just uh, kind of uh, follow your fear. Come back to it, uh, if, you know, if you're interested. And uh, for example, here's an application that uh, is very uh, important really, is in terms of relationships. Now, when you, uh, the listener can't see this, but we are on Zoom and we can see two faces on the screen. So Joe is, is head to head, face to face with Richard. We can see that, there's a gap between them. And that's the view from outside, isn't it? That's the, the view of a third person might see that looking at us. Right. But, uh, so we've got that. And uh, um, I'll talk more about de the development from a baby to the adult in terms of this, but we've got that. But now when I look at you directly from my point of view, not that third person outside view, I only see Joe's face. I don't see mine. And I call it face to no face. And I say, well, right now, I, I really don't see Richard's face in the way of Joe. I'm empty for Joe. I'm space for Joe. And uh, there's nothing in, in the way. Now, this is a very, uh, this is an honest thing. Uh, it is a welcoming thing because I'm saying I'm built open for you. And uh, this means I'm being attentive to you and respectful of you, but it also just being honest with myself, really. Now that is a very different way of relating to people. You know, you can't notice your face, no face without noticing the other person. Right. And being receptive to them. And uh, you can do this anywhere. Uh, this isn't a meditation that you have to retire from the world to do. Uh, you can do it at the checkout. And I, uh, I am, I am convinced uh, from my own experience and from those of many, many friends that when you're aware of this with people, they'll, they'll notice something because you're attending to them. Right. It's a nonverbal thing. Uh, you're, 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 you're valuing them. You're, uh, and all of that. So there is a, a very practical application and the view from outside which is our model relationship which is face to face is very important and it, it, uh, you know so that i understand where i stop and you begin that's the duality bit you see but that by itself is really separation by itself 
But when you include your own actual experience, it's non-separation, it's face to no face. And this is just a very different way. It doesn't, it's not utopia, you know, but a very different way of relating to so-called others. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's interesting because, and I think um, in the conversation you had with Sam, you guys got to this point too, that as you say, when you're talking to somebody, if you're, um, if you're thinking about your own face and your own self, I mean, that's like the definition of self-conscious, which sort of takes you out of the conversation, whatever they're saying, uh, because you're worrying about, you know, your own, your own face and your own thoughts. You're kind of out of that experience. Mm. Is that right? That's right. And also, I mean, this might be something you're familiar with. I, I know that, uh, uh, well, a little bit from my own experience and from those of friends, that if you are giving a talk to a crowd, you know, a group, you're giving a lecture or a talk or, you know, you do, I suppose you do stand up or something like that. Yes. One of the things that uh, why people don't want to do it is they feel self-conscious and they feel uh, separate, under inspection, and small, and uh, criticized, and all of that, and that, it, it stops people even trying. Now, this is a, a, um, a kind of remedy for this. Now, it's not, it doesn't produce results, results just overnight, but you're seeing that you're empty for the group, for the people, you know, you're the space in which they happen. There's much friendlier setup than being, confronting them, uh, and, and so on. So, uh, and also when you're, you see, if you're being self-conscious, then you're thinking of yourself and you're probably, you know, wondering how you're going down and, and uh, you're seeing yourself as, as limited. But when you, and, and I don't think we can get rid of that and that's important to have, but when you are aware of your own point of view, my voice now isn't coming out of Rich's mouth, it's coming out of no face, out of silence. And it's coming from a place that's unlimited and is uh, just supremely creative and fertile and imaginative. And it is for everyone. This is not something that special that I'm doing. No one, when you're talking, no one can see your, their own face. Now, this is actually taking that seriously or attending to it or drawing on it. And you've got to live it. You've got to test it out. But this is really reconnecting with a kind of, you know, profound creativity and spontaneity that we all know from when we are very, very young, when you just make things up as you go along and you, you know, you jump around if you feel like it. And, well, uh, you see, the, you could say there's four main stages in your development, potentially. The baby when you're not self-conscious at all. In other words, you're just headless. You're empty for the world. Your mum's face, you know, there's nothing in the way. Right. And uh, there you are and you just be yourself, you see. Now, through language, as you're growing up as a child and by looking in the mirror, you start to learn what you look like. And you start to take that image from the mirror and pull it out and flip it the other way around and make it bigger and put it on like a mask. And act and learn to act as if you're behind that face, as if you're talking through your mouth and you're in this body. And as a child, you haven't got very that very, going very well yet, you know. So it's as easy to be a, an airplane as a little boy or girl, right? Because you haven't 
you, you, you have to learn who you are in society. You don't know to begin with. And that is really going out and looking at, back at yourself in imagination through everyone's eyes and what you see in the mirror and all of that. Now, but, so it's very creative because you, you, you're now able to use language and move about, which you didn't have as a, as a baby, but you're not fixed yet. So it's very creative. You, you, children's drawings and uh, just being, if you ask a child, a young child, you know, who wants to make a drawing? Everyone in the class puts their hand up, right? Right. Now you ask the same group, 10 years later, you know, no, no, ooh, I know, I don't know, I didn't, I, you know, because they've been put in their boxes. Right. You see, they're not in a box, but now they act as if they are. And that has stifled their creativity and their spontaneity and their, their openness. So by the time we're adults, you know, put someone on the stage and they're supremely aware of what they look like. You know, they're not going to jump up and down and just be like a child would on the stage, you know, before it's been got self-conscious. So the third stage is the first stage, baby, headless, open, don't know who you are, don't care. Second stage, child, learning to uh, become responsible for what others say you are, but not being very clear on what that is yet. So being very creative and spontaneous generally. Third stage, the adult, I am what I look like. I'm the one I, is, I see in the mirror. Uh, I take responsibility for myself as Richard or, you know, great, you see, but now I'm in my box. Right. Now, don't stop there. You, now that you've got aware of who you are in society and you, you don't even have to think about it. I mean, you don't have to think about being Joe. You just are Joe, you see. So you've got that going. Now, take a fresh look and see who you really are, which is this open space, you see, full of the world. Now, of course, you've sort of got to get used to this. And just as it took years to really get used to being Joe, until you didn't have to think about it, it'll take time for you to get used to being who you really are. But my God, the, the benefits are all come back of spontaneity, of creativity, of... Uh, 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 being at ease with others, of uh, uh, re rediscovering the world, which is in the space. As Richard, I'm in the world, but as who I really am, the world is in me. Both go together, you see. Now, right. uh, this is what I'm on about, the wonderful, wonderful discovery that is just at the tip of your fingers. You know, point back, right. there it is on your side of the tip of your finger, you know, it is right. that. And people dismiss it because they think, oh, it can't be, you know, you can't be serious, really. Yeah. Well, Douglas Harding, all his books show how uh, this makes sense scientifically. It makes sense in terms of what the great mystics have said. It takes, makes sense in terms of um, personal development. And, and it's just verifiable by your own experience. I'm not asking you to believe what I say, I'm saying, Check it out. Do the experiments on the website, you know, and so on. Right. Okay. So I have a, a several questions, and my my mind starts to go everywhere because I want to go different ways with this. But one question on for you in your experience, how often are you 
is it now just your your default to to live this way and feel this way or do you still do the exercise is this something you wake up and 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 point at yourself to recognize still or is it just come naturally now in conversation or is it do you have to actively sort of work on this and do this no well it's a bit of both but i mean if i was to say joe do, do you when you wake up do you have to remind yourself you're joe you know you don't do you right because you know that you you it's just deep in you and uh, this is what happens with waking up to who you really are uh, now, to begin with, when you, when you were a, a child, you had to keep reminding yourself. You had to learn how to spell your name. You know, you had to remember what your middle name. I know what. You know all of that. And, right. Well, it uh, so uh, there there's benefit in doing experiments, but the experiments. Um, you see, I do them quite a lot because I go around sharing this. But honestly, uh, I never tire of them because it's always in the present moment. All right. What am I now? I might have been deluding myself. Let me point back at the place I'm looking out of. Oh, it's refreshingly empty. <laughs> see, okay. now uh, it, it, people are different, uh, but you see, I'm now noticing my single eye. Right, I'm not looking out of two peepholes in a meatball. I'm looking out one opening, and the view fades out all the way around into consciousness, emptiness. You see. Now, am I doing an experiment? I don't know. I mean, you could call it that, but I'm just noticing what it's like to be me. Or if I'm in the car, am I moving or is the scenery moving through me? You see, right. walking through, you know, to the next room, I'm still. Or I'm, when I'm with you now, am I, you know, am I, I don't know, it's just so natural. I, I'm empty for you. I'm, this is so natural. So, uh, but I think, uh, in a way, uh, at a certain level, you've got to get back into the, into the habit of being who you really are, because you've been pretending to be a person. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, when you wake up to who you are, you still pretend to be a person, but that's a different kind of pretense. The first pretense, uh, uh, you know, in, in the stage of the adult is conviction you're a person, and that's all you are. But the fourth one is, oh, I realize I'm appearing as Richard, but really I'm the one. And it's the one in me is the same as the one in you. Now that changes my relationship with you because it's one consciousness, right? Because right. you, you, you don't see a name on the emptiness where you are. You don't see a, a nationality or an age or a gender, you see. Right. Boy, it gets... Uh trippy like i feel like i'm <laughs> i'm high thinking about it but no it's great and and that's yes, a really and let me just say something about that because uh, i welcome that because why not and it's very healthy to have expansive feelings but the feelings will go uh, but the headlessness won't and it is something that one learns as one goes along that the feelings are to be welcomed like that but they will go so when they do go you'd not under the impression you've lost it. You've just lost that particular state of mind. And you really need to lose it at some point so the next one can come along. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, how does that work with, like, I imagine at, at times, you seem like a, a very zen, for lack of a better word, person, but there must be times where you stub your toe or you get angry. I mean, does does um, yeah. Headless Way come into play there? I mean, if you, if you walk, you stub your toe on the table and you go, Jesus, I want to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Do you go into 
the headless way and it, oh yes awesome. every day i i want to go somewhere no yeah <laughs> <laughs> well yes you see this is the the mistake or fallacy that you know if you wake up to who you are you're never going to get angry again nonsense nonsense this is, and this is not a program about how you should behave this is wake up to who you are which is as simple as pointing and looking and then see how it works out so it's not telling you that you now you must behave and if you get angry you're not doing it nonsense just as your face is in the emptiness so the anger comes up in the emptiness right and uh this isn't being holier than thou or some you know, nonsense like that <laughs> right well that so that's the nature of uh meditation it feels like which essentially this is a meditation is that right? yeah. i mean technically so that's the nature of meditation is discovering that you are just this space this consciousness for all of anger embarrassment sadness whatever is coming up it's it's just appearing in this consciousness well, that's right and this is two-way meditation one way meditation is just the view out into, you know, right now I can see you, but I'm also aware of my feelings and thoughts. That's all content. But right. the, the view back, if you like, the other way is into the emptiness. So it's not just aware of the content or your breathing or your thoughts, it's aware of the space in which that's happening as well. And don't miss out on that on awareness of the space. I mean, you can't do it wrong. You can't half see it. Um, so that is uh, meditation, two-way meditation, two-way attention. Yes, which you can do anywhere. Right. Yeah, and that's an exercise I do a lot too in meditation is with um, eyes closed to, to really focus on the feeling. And I know I have hands or my hands are on my thighs or whatever, but with eyes closed, if I really focus on the, the tingling or the heat or the feeling, the hands can actually disappear. I'm just, I'm imagining hands because I know that I have hands, but if I'm not looking at them, just feeling them, it's actually just a feeling. It's just a sensation. I know. You see, there are all, thing, all kinds of things to discover uh, because we've been taken for granted. We know what is what. Right. Uh, and now when we pay attention, Nothing really changes except we notice it wasn't what we thought. So, I mean, for example, I'm closing my eyes now. The listener can do this. And just on present evidence, how big are you? Well, I mean, what evidence have you? You don't see your body. You, you don't, you've just got a darkness. You, I can't say how big the darkness is. There's nothing to compare it with. And these body sensations, uh, from memory, I have a kind of map, but on present evidence, it, what shape are they? How big? I can't say. And uh, if I am aware of my voice, where is it coming from? It just coming out of the out of the silence, if you like, and going back into it. And the thoughts and feelings are the same. So I'm not at all what I look like. I'm I'm this emptiness full of darkness and sensations. Plus, you know, if I go to the, the sensation of my right foot, I've got an image of my right foot, which I didn't have as a baby. So I've learned that. That's really useful. But the image, it doesn't define that and doesn't define me. So then I open my eyes and I recreate the world in the emptiness. It just appears, you see. Now, all of this, you see, when I say, okay, to people, I say, notice the difference between the inside and the outside. So when I close my eyes, nothing happens to the world and I open my eyes. Now, when you do it, you see, you, the world disappears, the, the room disappears, and then you open your eyes and it, you recreate it. So, oh, you know, that's a trick. Because we have been told 
that the only way of understanding it is what other people tell us they see. But from inside, I really do make the room disappear and make it reappear. And, and that is, a, I think as, as infants, we, we played with that, you know, make, make it disappear, make it reappear, it's kind of fun. But all the great mystics say that who you really are is so wonderful and glorious and has all these powers, such as being able to make things disappear and reappear. You say, oh, that's nonsense. Well, close your eyes. What? You know, you're not denying the outside view that the world is still there and you're just closing your eyes. But the inside view you're also taking seriously, which is such, you know, also if you're walking down the street, you're still and the street moves through you. Is relativity applied? Yeah. Yeah, so that's. We, we've got a lot of catching up to do and a lot of resistance. You see, when people resist this, I say I'm not surprised because it is so different from what you've been told. Right. Uh, and uh, it, 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 if, you, if you feel resistant, I say, I think that means because you've actually seen what I'm talking about. <laughs> right. Now, so uh, what do you think? Should we be teaching this to everybody, teaching it in school? Because you talked about when, when we're, we're kids, we're more fun, we're creative, more up for things. And then we sort of lose that and become cynical because I guess we lose sight of that. So if it were up to you, if you were, you know, the... Uh, president of the universe here would we be teaching this in in no, fifth grade no, kindergarten middle school no 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 for, for uh, several reasons um it, it, uh, just as i wouldn't teach it to anybody because uh, it, it you're you're what you're sort of doing is imposing your own point of view there and right. that isn't uh, what it's about uh, it, it, and you see, everyone is this. You, no one can see their own head. But I, I think the thing with, with kids, you see, is they're at the stage of the journey where they're learning to get their head on, learning to, you know, discovering who they are in society and learning to be that and learning to take responsibility for that and accept that others are the same. And th this is absolutely vital. And if you uh, tell kids that they're not what they look like, it's going to be very confusing. It's not what they need to know. They, they know that deeply and they, don't, they want to join society. They want to get their head on. Well, that, you know, and you're there partly to facilitate that, you see. So now, that, but the thing is, if, uh, uh, for example, a child suddenly kind of becomes aware they're headless, right? Mm -hmm. You know, which wouldn't be a surprise. It's so familiar. And the child says to a teacher, uh, you know, God, I feel just like space teacher. Now, if the teacher is aware of being space, they go, yeah, no, that's fine. That's quite normal, you know. And the child relaxes, right? Because its experience is validated. And then it goes off and try and becomes a, you know, gets on with the job of becoming a person. Right. But if that adult is not aware of being space and goes, oh, don't be silly, that's stupid. Now that is suppressing the truth. That, that it, and I think that's tricky. But if you, uh, I had a friend who, whose mother was a non-dualist, 
quote unquote, and brought up her daughter to not use the word I because it was an illusion. You know how confusing that was? Really confusing. Until she met me and understood that it's fine to have both. Right. right. Now, when I go around sharing the headless way, I only do it really if I'm invited. I don't go around, but, you know, grabbing people by the collar and, <laughs> you know, I'm here talking to you because you've invited me. I'm very happy to talk about it. But I'm aware that everyone is this, and this is just my own way of articulating this wonderful fact. Um, yeah. Interesting. Now, I want to talk a little bit about your past and how you um, came into this. Was there, did it, for me, getting into meditation, Buddhism, and, and leading me here to you, was from um, a feeling of discontent, of anxiety, panic. I was having panic attacks and anxiety and, and depression and thought, I got I to figure something out here. So it set me into this sort of mm. deep searching. And it's been very beneficial. And I was a big hypochondriac and I've, I've gotten much better with that through meditation and all of these things. Is that what led you to this? Were you, did, were you an anxious person or somebody dealing with depression or anything like that? And that sent you looking for this or did you uh, come across it? I know, I understand that you discovered this through Douglas Harding, who sort of initiated this. How did yeah. you come to find him? Well, I, I, I'm, I, I'm uh, just anxious and suffer from depression like most people. I, and, uh, uh, you know, human in that way. I was young when I met Douglas. I was 17. I'm 67 now. And uh, I had been looking for this. I, and I'd, you know, at a young age, got into Christianity and then drifted out of it because it didn't give me what I was looking for, which was experience, when I look back, experience of my true nature. And I, at the age of 16, I started, 15, I started to read up on other religions like Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Maybe they would uh, offer, you know, deliver the goods for me, which led me to a workshop with Douglas Harding at the Buddhist Society Summer School in 1970. And I'd never heard of him. And uh, I went, uh, uh, went along to the workshop and he got me to look, you know, point back and have a look. And I recognized what he was pointing at. And he said that if you're interested, come and visit. And uh, he, he lived in uh, Suffolk in England. And uh, I went to Cambridge, which wasn't too far from there. And I was just about to go up to Cambridge. So really a lot of my time at Cambridge was spent going and visiting Douglas. And what happened there was that uh, I could sort out my intellectual doubts. I read everything he had written, but also I met lots of others. And this was just friends at his house. It wasn't, you know, he didn't pay. And I have found that getting uh, to know others and, and making friends with others who are valuing the headless way has been really supportive. And one of the characteristics of this community of friends, a very loose network of friends, really. But people, Douglas traveled a lot and people would come from all over the world to stay at his house in the, in the village, you know. But one of the things about that community, including Douglas, was it was non-hierarchical, essentially, because everyone got the 
endless space and you can't get it more or less. And, and so there isn't a hierarchy of seers. We're, we're all equal. And, uh, but we all have different reactions. And that was really uh, important for me to be in a community of friends where this was normal, normal to be this way, because you know, in the rest of the world, it's not. And ever since then, I, I've uh, kept in touch with these friends and made more friends. And uh, there's a growing community of friends, including lots going online in Zoom meetings, which people are welcome to attend. They just have to get in touch with me through the website. But this is, uh, a, uh, this is not a guru and disciples. This is everyone aware of their true nature and sharing how that works out in their lives. So we're all learning from each other. Uh, so that has been the theme of my life. I've been fortunate in that I have in a way since 17, grown up in a society where seeing your true nature is normal. Right. And natural and down to earth and not hyped up. And um, God, I, I've been reading a biography of John Wesley who started the Methodists. Are you aware of the Methodists at all? It's, um, a, Christ, it's a Christian denomination in the 1720s, 30s, 40s, you know, around then. And it was so full of conflict and of people trying to decide what was the truth and, you know, incredibly kind of, uh, you know, the differentiation between one view and another split the movement. And you think, wow, the headless way um, is a nonverbal experience. So you, you accept that people are going to say it in different ways. And that is such a different you know, it's not without conflict between people, but you uh, you know where there's no conflict, which is right where you are in this open space where there's no, you know, where, where you can't get it wrong. Right. Yeah. It's interesting to think there's no, uh, it's funny you said there's no conflict. It's it's funny to me to imagine a group of people talking about the headless way and just a big fight breaks out, you know, and says, no, you're well, not headless. I, <laughs> I, I want to make clear that it's not saying there's no conflict between people. Right. Okay. Uh, because uh, there are, and there are differences, but um, you see, what I can do is be aware of the space in which that conflict is happening, right? And then operate from that. You know, I'm not even expecting others to behave themselves. Uh, uh, if I now let me see where. You know, we're two out there on the screen, but there's one consciousness. Now let, uh, and two voices in one consciousness, you've got your different view from me. But let me uh, be aware of the one consciousness and then see how that affects it. It's not going to control the situation, but it's going to uh, mean that I, um, yes, I, I, I've got in my awareness this other side of things, so to speak. Yeah, yeah that's that's an interesting thing you touched on there. The two voices in one conscience, uh, conscious of of the idea that you know I'm, and this is kind of what we've been talking about. Like I'm talking, and my voice is coming out of my mouth, and your voice is coming out of your mouth, but they're appearing in the same place, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah they're, we're, both both voices. I'm hearing both of them the same way. 
That's right. Two voices in one consciousness. Right, right. Now, you see, nothing has changed, but now we're hearing it in a different way, right? Right. And now, uh, you see, at the level of Joe and Richard, I say, this is Richard's voice, and that's Joe's. But the, at the level of who I really am, I say, both voices are mine, and I'm talking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, both, both, both are valid ways of putting it, but we normally only do the... You know, I'm me and you're you, and we're separate bit. Well, what, you know, if you start to enjoy that experience of two voices in one consciousness, it, it's a very different kind of being with a so-called other person. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's very um, interesting and fascinating. Now, now, do you still study other... Um, I don't want to say other things. I'm sure you study something else, but other uh, schools of Buddhism, do you do different kinds of meditations or is it, is it basically just the headless way for you? This is what worked best for you. And so that's what you do. Or Well, I've explored quite a lot of things in my time before I came across headless way a bit, but afterwards. And um, for four years, I was in a Buddhist meditation center in England. And uh, I went to just, uh, uh, find out about Vipassana meditation. And uh, it was really, it was about 10 years after I'd met Douglas Harding. And I, I think in retrospect, I just needed some time to be on my own with it and be quiet with it and sit, you see. And I found a place to do that. Well, obviously, because I had experience, they recognized I, I knew what it was all about, really. And they asked me to train. So then for the, the for three years, I led 10-day retreats. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I had a lot of experience in meditation and in leading groups and in understanding what they were on about. And for me, you see, it, it's, it's one thing to meditate and hope to find out who you are. And it's another thing to meditate and enjoy being who you are and being the space in which the thoughts and feelings and sounds arise, you see. And uh, that was my approach. Now, since then, I, I, I have uh, I've explored and been interested in the ways that other people do this, very interested, because I, uh, you know, without sounding too kind of uh, egotistical, I thought, this is such a brilliant way, it delivers the goods, what are they on about? And to be honest, a lot, uh, most of them seem to be uh, just talking about it and not actually uh, delivering the experience. Um, not all of them by any means. Uh, but now in my old age, I, uh, I've, I don't really, I do, I, actually I do. I mean, I listen to the interviews Sam Harris does with people and, and, I, uh, and other things. Um, and I, you know, my questions are, are you aware of who you are? You're a teacher. Are you aware of who you are? Are you delivering it to your students quickly and clearly? Or are they sitting for decades hoping, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, uh, now, if they are, it's a tragedy and you're not doing your job. And is it still a hierarchical thing where you as a teacher have got something that your students don't have? If that's true, that's nonsense, because the headless way reveals that you, you can't get this more or less, and it's absolutely available. And as soon as you've been shown it, the, the I don't go around uh, declaring myself a teacher. I, I go, I'm a friend. 
uh, you know, a friend. And if you if you want to be friends, great. In terms of sharing your response to this wonderful discovery about who you are, yeah, yeah, that's I mean that's a great way of putting it, and that's a thing that I've really loved that um, Sam Harris gets across in his uh, app is that thing that that he experienced of going and on retreats for for years exactly and sitting meditation and this idea of because that's the idea that I've had and I think is is common is that if I just sat and meditated for enough time it will take me hours and then days and then years I'll be able to experience this enlightenment and and the experiment of having no head the pointing you can pretty much get there immediately you can um, yeah, yeah. And, and that's a really great um, discovery and that's and that's something that I only really ever heard um, from Sam via the the headless way and I think that's why he, he brings it up so often is that you can sit and pretty much feel that immediately and not after years and years of practice you can you can and uh, of course you have to practice it you have you know you've got to enjoy it you've got to practice it you've got to pay attention to it if you want to benefit from it you know one glimpse isn't what it's about and isn't going to do you any good but i mean it's you're you're practicing the the you know you've got the prize you're not waiting for the prize you're enjoying the prize the other thing that um uh, sometimes people say was oh well i mean it's so easy people dismiss it they just say so what you know well i don't think i think people are entitled to say what so what if they want to if they don't value it so so what (laughs) i i i I offer it and then respect people uh you know the the idea that uh i've heard that you don't give this experience until the person's ready for it well that, that seems you know like just a business idea you know don't give it them because they you they'll go off they'll have it you know uh, and anyway who are you to decide if someone's ready for it or not you see? right so i say present it as well as you can offer it freely if you can just uh, you know show what it is and then re- let people uh, do what they like with it you know i mean i'm doing what i like with it <laughs> right right well you're doing a great job um but that's something I think about with um, meditation, and I do the this exercise a lot with pointing and the feeling of of having no head. And um, I have a little note on my desk that just says, um, and I got this from some Buddhist podcast or book somewhere that says, "Nothing to do, nothing to be, nothing to have." And it's this idea that. I, there's nothing I need to accomplish or do or be or, or have to be, first of all, worthy of, of love or, or anything. I don't, there's nothing for me that I, that I need to do. I can just sit and I am this breathing, conscious um, being. And it really, those moments where I feel that I sort of lose that ego, I guess, and that sense of being self that I feel the best. And, and this really does um, help me get there. Well, yes. And I think, again, it's this two-way thing, in and out. You see, when you look in, you're empty space, so that you can't do anything there. You see, uh, you can't be anything there or do anything there or have anything there because it's just empty and it's still. 
But the paradox is, is being aware of that uh, takes away the obstruction to really doing things in the outward direction. It means you can, you, when appropriate, you can really get on with things and really apply yourselves because here at the center, you've got this kind of stillness and it's very creative stillness. So the, 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 sometimes people think, oh, that means I won't do anything, you see. Well, no, this inner stillness and inner idleness and inner emptiness and poverty uh, frees you to really go for it and live your right. life fully, you know? Uh, right. It takes the brakes off. And uh, I, I think often enough, the mark of someone who's living from who they are is they're really going for life. They're not, right. you know, uh, playing some kind of game of being holier than, you know, I'm not going to do anything. Uh, what a shame that would be, you know, uh, to, to miss out on this wonderful adventure of life. But how do you live life fully? Well, you get out the way, you see, this is sort of getting out the way and going for it and being yourself and you, you doing it in Joe's way and me doing it in my way, you know, from this common um, ground, yes. Yeah, that's really beautiful. The only thing I'm disagreeing with you on here is uh, I think we should be teaching this to everybody. I mean, I, I think maybe not kids, 30 year olds, 25 year olds. Yes, I, th I my work is to make this as widely available as possible. Right. So I, if you mean by teaching, you know, uh, make making it all available and and how it makes sense yeah i'm with you all the way there for, for sure and that's why we're talking that's why i'm talking this is a opportunity to reach a few more people gotcha right yes well hope, very few i mean a couple thousand a couple thousand people are listening to this i don't know how many of them already um knew yeah, about but you but you see even one person right uh, it, it, waking up to this is the world waking up in them and uh, you, you, you know, uh, don't underrate that. Uh, it's, it's not really, numbers are important, but on the other hand, when you look and see who you are, you see everyone is within you and who knows where that will go, yeah. Right, well, I really appreciate uh, you being on. Is there anything that you wanted to um, talk about or would like to add that we didn't get to or that I didn't bring up? Well, a real delight to talk to you, Joe, and to uh, share this, uh, this experience of being space for the world. Uh, now, if, if the listener you know, has got questions, there's lots on our website, which is headless.org, and lots of experiments and links to YouTube videos. There's a couple of hundred videos that we've got on our YouTube channel and link on the website to podcasts, plus... We have eight, 10 Zoom meetings a week free for those who are, uh, value this. And if you're interested in meeting others who are uh, valuing this, then get in touch through the website. Um, I, think, I can't think of anything else to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, what can I ask? What does that look like? Now, I'm a person that attends a lot of uh, meetings on Zoom, recovery meetings, but what does is, what is a Headless Way meeting look like? Is there a, a jumping off point or is it just a random conversation? I mean, how does it, are you, we talking about Headless Way or does it just go into what did everybody eat today? How does it, 
<laughs> How does it? Um, oh, now you mentioned it. <laughs> what did you have for breakfast? Uh, well, uh, what uh, you see there is uh, there's a community growing. So um, more or less, people know each other. Mm-hmm. People drop in and out and move through, but it's not just completely random. It is a growing group of friends, um, very welcoming. And we're there to share our, our responses to seeing who we are. Uh, but it goes in different directions. You know, we talk about that and new people, almost new people every meeting, you know. Um, and we might do an experiment or two, but it's not a kind of formalized thing. Uh, we'll break out into small groups to get to know each other. They're an hour each, each session. Um, there are one or two which are introductory things. As a friend, John does one on a Monday. Um, but you'll get all the information if you're interested, uh, you know, that when, when I send it to you. But um, it is, uh, uh, it's friendly. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out for sure. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I will. Richard, thank you so much. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and I appreciate your service to um, to the community, to humanity, honestly. And um, it, you've meant a lot to me. And it's been great listening to you today and, and, and throughout the last few months. Well, it's really a real delight me to meet you, Joe. Real delight. And uh, I hope this, I hope we uh, meet again yeah, through Zoom or, or, yeah. Or otherwise. Okay, great. Richard, thanks so much. I really appreciate it and take care. Thank you.